0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. In your headlines this hour, the CDU's Olaf Scholz pulls ahead in the polls. Less than two weeks before Germans head to the election, hitting back at accusations that he was culpable in a string of high-profile financial scandals.
1: There was no investigation of the Federal Ministry of Finance. You created this false impression on purpose.
0: In France, the far-right's Marine Le Pen and Paris Socialist Mayor Anne Hidalgo launched their campaigns to, eat, to oust the uh, president next year.
2: Sydney Airport shares take off after the group receives a sweetened takeover offer worth nearly $17.5 billion. UK retailer Marks & Spencer says it may be forced to shut stores in France as Brexit red tape causes supply chain issues and leaves shelves empty.
3: Last, you've got Asian markets seeing red on fresh regulatory concerns in China as Beijing reportedly seeks to break up Ant Group's online payments platform Alipay and amid calls for consolidation in the country's EV sector.
2: Good morning, everyone. Let's take a look at these markets. A big question for a lot of investors this week is whether the red ink will continue because across the course of last week, it was certainly a choppy one for US equities, which have been one of the preferred asset classes for a lot of investors. But since we've had that miss on the the non-farm payrolls, investors have been mindful of some of the choppiness on markets around what we're seeing in the data. This time around, it was inflation numbers uh, that crossed uh, at the factory gate. We saw prices rising 0.7% on month in August. This was above the economists' expectations for a 0.6% increase, but also just triggering concerns about how long the transitory nature of these inflation hikes will continue for, that you're still going to have price pressures maybe into 2022. And I think some analysts just reassessing those expectations also just a string of reports out from a bunch of major investment houses about the volatility in autumn and that has spooked some investors now just uh, reaching back into the the portfolio and uh, deciding what to do at this stage whether to hold out more cash whether to look elsewhere for opportunities in the equity space away from these u.s assets so uh, you could see across the course of the friday trade it was a weaker session Fifth negative one playing up for the Dow, also for the S&P. Worth noting, across the course of the week, you saw some of the technology names start to be added to the selling list and we'd had mostly a concentration on other areas. Uh, energy was the best performer. Utilities uh, down in the Friday trade. But if you look at the course of the week, real estate, don't forget that's been one of the big plays on the reopening theme. Real estate was actually one of the areas leading the market to the downside of the course of last week. And here's a look at those uh, week-to-date levels that we saw on the markets uh, on the back. Of some of that uh, selling, Uh, you can see perhaps we can get this refreshed for you for next time. But I can tell you what the numbers actually look like. Week to date, the Dow was down 2.1%. So that was a a weak performance and also down more than what you had on the SP 500, which was down 1.9%. Let's take you to the oil and gold trades. Uh, The early uh, positioning on the commodities complex looks like this. Brent is trading a little bit firmer, just uh, outpaced by WTI, uh, both roughly up about a quarter of 1%. uh, Also holding firm. Despite some of the choppiness you saw out of markets last week, energy was still somewhat resilient in the trade. Gold prices up by just over a tenth of a percent. You can see trading off the 1800 level still. Asian markets, uh, this is how they've kicked off the trading week and uh, the initial expectations have been for a little bit more selling pressure. Don't forget we continue to face this backlash in China around big technology names certain industry has been targeted today there's talk around some of the automakers whether there's too many of them existing in the current market so shanghai cautious only about a tenth of a percent higher flat for australia you can see hong kong coming off more than uh, about uh, 500 plus points 500, 576 at this stage or 2.2 percent and a modest decline for the japanese stock market u.s futures the early indications uh, look like this We have a little bit of green moving on to the boards indicating perhaps we will snap that uh, five-day losing streak for these markets, but as you can see, it is cautious. There's not a huge amount of push to the upside at this stage. And just to set the scene on what is ahead uh, later on this week, it will be a data-heavy week. The latest inflation reading is due tomorrow afternoon and, of course, important on the back of that factory gate level. Uh, The Bureau of Labor stats will release trade data on Wednesday with industrial production figures due the same day. Thursday, we'll see the release of retail sales data for August, with investors keen to see how the spread of the Delta variant is impacting consumers. Uh, Jeff, good morning.
0: Yeah, very good morning. Uh, so we're all back together. Steve, of course, um, at home. He's in the broom cupboard this morning, where I was uh, at the end of last week. Good morning, <laughs> Steve. Let's, let's have a little bit of a chat then and see if we can set up the uh, the market week for our audience. And I'm I'm confused. I think the markets are confused. Friday, we had a very rough session I think for US investors we come into this Monday morning and it's not as though people went away over the weekend reflected on the economic data and thought actually the data's is not that bad it's a little bit sluggish but maybe the third quarter will be good in fact they seem to go away and they ask themselves why did equities go down and yields go up on friday what is that ultimately telling us about the direction of travel for the price of money and also yeah we didn't really get great news around the delta variant or around covid so there wasn't much i think to encourage investors at the start of this week to get excited about the opening of the equity session.
2: We spend a lot of time on markets talking about Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold. And I wonder whether we're just getting a really bad mix of ingredients now. Uh, investors are seeing very strong inflation numbers, and we saw that through the factory gate. And we were getting messaging from central banks that this would simply just disappear. It's transitory, nothing to worry about. But now investors, think, are sitting back saying, well, how long is transitory? How long through 2022 are we looking at these same conditions taking place? You know, the supply chain problems, we're still seeing a very strong response in Southeast Asia that is impacting a lot of the imports here. And the United States, the Delta variant spreaders, meant people that were going back into workforces sending the kids back to school now reverting back to work from home and having to look after kids so you're not seeing people dragged off the sidelines as aggressively back into the workforce despite all of those job openings we keep talking about so that's not fixing the labour market shortages either and I think investors at this point are saying well it is not a great mix of ingredients we're looking at here and we've stretched so far to the upside of markets what is left to play for at this stage Steve
3: I think things are great on the economic front aren't they I mean, things look good on the economic front. Yes, all of the above what you've said and concerns about valuations and concerns about the Delta variant. But actually, I think the markets are in a fine position. The economic data stateside appears to be in a fine position. Look at the moves we've had already this year. No wonder some of these sectors are giving back a bit of ground. What what was the sector that gave back the biggest ground last week? Well, I can tell you the answer. It was real estate. It gave back about 4%. But real estate has been absolutely flying this year. It's without doubt one of the most amazing performing sectors. It's up... 28% 28% year to date. The S&P is up 18.7%. The Dow is up 13%. The Nasdaq are over 17%. The market fundamentals are based on sound economics. And even those people who are determined to talk down those of us who think there is some inflation in the system as mo- at the moment as well. Let's even strip out 2021. Let's look at their, obje- uh, their, their, their projections for 2022. The US economy still seen growing when all of the COVID at hopefully is out of the system 2022 we're still talking about three and a half percent growth we're still talking about an unemployment rate which will probably be below four percent in 2022 we're talking about inflation when a lot of that transitory hopefully will be out of the system is still going to be over three percent so why do we have emergency conditions uh, being supported in terms of the, the monetary support when we've got stunning amounts of fiscal coming through as well The market trades in broad, the U.S. S&P, at around about 26 times. I think that's a very fruity valuation compared to history. But given the kind of corporate profits we're turning out at the moment, is that so bad? All I'm trying to say this morning is I'm bemused by the people who are talking down some of the economics so that it justifies more stimulus, higher valuations, because, of course, the market's going to get more Kool-Aid as well. Actually, the underlying economy over the next year and a half Paterus Peribus. All other things being equal, looks okay at the moment. I'm not saying it's stellar, but it looks okay as well. Which then begs the huge question: Why do we have such enormous stimulus support when actually things look all right?
0: Uh, Can't disagree with that. I think one of the challenges, just from the equity perspective, is what impact uh, the consequences of this uptick in demand and the inability of labour markets and supply chains. to meet that demand at the moment. What is that ultimately going to mean for corporate profitability? And I think that's where the rubber meets the road on your macro conditions look okay, reasons to be encouraged. We've had a lot of upside for these markets. And as investors are looking at the consequences, I mean, you've only got to go back to, um, was it the, uh, the Beige book that we saw from the Fed? as they surveyed those 12 districts almost every district that reported basically said something along the lines of inability to get supplies inability to get the workers necessary for a full reopening of the businesses that were reporting back and that's the challenge isn't it because while there may be a window of opportunity on the demand side here if businesses are struggling to fulfill that without increasing both input costs and labor salaries then that is going to have some impact on profitability and margins which ultimately i think is asking investors a question about whether they want to continue owning the stocks they've bought at the prices they've bought them particularly if they are late into this market steve
3: yeah look i'm welcome increases in labour costs. I welcome it. There you go. That that, that that doesn't make me a socialist, by the way. That makes me a capitalist who wants to see the system better and fairer as well. Look, let's be honest about it. We've been talking for the last two and a half years, way before COVID, about record corporate margins, about record corporate profitability. We've also accompanied that conversation, in fact we had it elsewhere, about record salaries for the C-suite, record salaries uh, for the CEOs of companies that actually in the 60s were 30 to 50 times multiples of your median salary for your employees is now over 300 times. So actually I welcome the sustainability and the longevity that will come with companies investing in one of their key Source of capital, i.e., labour as well, and actually building better companies where people want to stay for longer time as well, where the CEOs aren't the only ones getting the spoil, and the shareholders are, shareholders want to see. I'm told they're not punters, they're not day traders, they're not here in and out. They have five to ten year propositions. So so many of our uh, our, our, our guests on the channel show us all. well. If that's the case, surely we want longer, more sustainable companies with employees who aren't on churn. I have to say. We, there's a long time coming, and if we don't have this reckoning, which is a soft version, by the way, there will be a harsher version. Anyone who looks at the history of capitalism will know there will be a harder version of the reckoning if we don't readjust where some of those profits are going. Yes. Reinvestment in labour after decades, where in the US median salaries have gone nowhere or they've gone down,
2: it has to change, Karen. A good medium and long-term points there. I want to talk more short-term, though, around momentum, because we all know how important momentum is for this market, but we may have seen a sea change. It feels as though there's been an element of very rotation. And in these markets, Roro in the sense that risk on, risk off has been expressed through defences versus growth stocks. Investors have been oscillating between those two parts of the market with a broader theme that there is no other alternative. Investors have been going into these US stocks because that is the only way to play this type of environment. But uh, one of our our regular commentators over at um, Morgan Stanley was effectively writing last week that he's now going overweight cash. If you think about that, expect cash to outperform U.S. equities, expect cash to perform uh, U.S. debt, that cash is the place to be hiding out at this point. The exceptions here are that uh, European, Japanese stocks may be a play. But that's quite telling if it is suggesting that cash just sitting out there in a good old-fashioned asset class is the trade at this point. That tells you something about momentum, doesn't it, Steve?
3: Yeah, it really does, actually. That's a fascinating piece, Kevin. I hadn't seen that. I will definitely take a look at that. Excellent. Right, OK, well, we've set out our stall on a Monday morning. I hope we've woken a few of you up anyway. Hopefully we have. That and the coffee you're drinking anyway. Um, we will move on, because coming up on the show, Germany's chancellor candidates go head to head. Wait for it, To head. Uh, in last night's election debate with just two weeks to go before the federal election that is coming up but also i'm told karen the podcast i'm told it's amazing
2: it's vintage (laughs) for more on this week's key data points and what impact they may have on markets you can check out the school box podcast
0: Germany's Social Democrats continue to extend their lead in the polls with less than two weeks to go until the German federal election. Olaf Scholz topped viewer surveys following last night's leadership debate. The latest poll for Germany's Bild am Sonntag newspaper has the SPD on 26%, six percentage points ahead of the Conservatives. Scholz's success in the polls comes despite last week's raid on Berlin's finance ministry as investigators opened a probe into the government's anti-money laundering unit. Schultz's uh, CDU election rival, Ahmed Laschet, accused the finance minister of playing down the incident.
1: It's a miracle how even in this case, when the prosecutor's office comes to your ministry and investigates, you can display such whitewashing. So I'll tell you, if my finance minister were to work the way you do, we'd have a serious problem.
0: Well, let's get out to Anetta with more on this story. And Annette, very interesting. Is it a case that the accusations are actually backfiring on the CDU at this point? Surprising to see uh, Mr Schultz coming out of those uh, hustings with even stronger apparent gains in the polls?
5: Yeah, it it is actually surprising. It seems that nothing at the moment can hurt Olaf Schultz. Neither his role in the cut scandal, nor the fact that his finance money was raided by the public officials, by the state attorney. Um, so that's kind of a miracle. It seems that his standing is like super robust currently, at least in the opinion polls. Um, so. Uh, What we heard from Armin Laschet just now was a clear first attack on Olaf Scholz, on his integrity and also his capability to be the next chancellor in Germany. But nothing actually happened in the opinion polls right after the debate took place. But take a listen of what the response was from Olaf Scholz on that attack by Armin Laschet, the CDU chancellor candidate.
1: You can see how things are being misrepresented a bit, also by being deliberately twisted. Mr. Lachette, you have to take blame for that very clearly. There was no investigation at the Federal Ministry of Finance, and it's not the case that the public prosecutor's office from Honorsbrook has any questions in an investigation against this ministry or against the Ministry of Justice. You created this false impression on purpose.
5: The CDU is clearly disappointed with the results in the polls after the election um, debate yesterday in um, public TV. But still, if you look at um, Annalena Baerbock's performance, that was even worse. I mean, Laschet came in second when it comes to uh, like the approval after the, the debate. And Annalena Baerbock tried to put the topic of climate change change again and again on the agenda. And her slogan was, we need to find solutions and not just talk about topics. So take a listen to what she said was the crucial issue or is the crucial issue for her going into these elections. We are missing our climate targets with dramatic consequences because you have both made it clear that you have not focused on solutions but have always blamed each other for who is actually blocking what. And if we now talk about the future, and I want to, it is now about the next election and this next federal government is the one that can still actively influence the climate crisis. And that means we must phase out coal earlier and well before 2038. So as it stands now, everything is still possible. If you look at how close the uh, the, the two big parties, the uh, CDU and the SPD, are on the polls, it still can change around. And we all know that there are also errors it, uh, when it comes to opinion polling. So um, the race is still wide open. The key question is the coalition building, because currently it looks like it's either again a grand coalition, but the CDU, of course, doesn't want to serve under an SPD-led chancellery. Or it will be a three-way coalition. But by all means, it will be very difficult to form a coalition. And also what's an interesting topic to raise as well, the budget will be a key concern. Because normally they could splash out a lot of money in order to find compromises in those election, uh, in those coalition forming talks. But now it is completely different. They really have to save money going uh, into a next government because there is a 90 billion euro uh, hole when it comes to the next budget. Um, And of course, everybody wants to promise no tax cuts, no tax hikes, a lot of social spending, but it remains to be seen whether this can actually uh, happen also uh, can, is is a um, a credible policy option after the election took place. So I mean, Lashid, and of course the liberals they want to prevent tax hike, whereas uh, tax hike, whereas the social democrats and the Greens are looking into higher taxes for the um, for the wealthy, um, and the the far left, of course, in, is in favor of higher taxes. So the far left is the potential kingmaker for a social uh, social democracy democratic uh, run government, but that also could um, yeah be a problem for markets and also for international relations because the far left is known for being not a friend of transatlantic relations and not a friend of NATO, etc. So um, as I said, it's wide open. It will be an interesting one. But um, I guess the most crucial factor will be that those coalition forming talks after the election will take months and we we'll, might have another Christmas with Angela Merkel as the Chancellor of Germany. But that, back to you.
2: Anetta. just quickly, can we talk about uh, what comes next? We've had this 90-minute uh, heated discussion, two weeks left. The focus shifted a little bit to these raids on the finance and justice ministries. But, but what's left in this final stretch?
5: Well, there are a couple of big debates. There's another one, um, a TV debate. And, of course, those um, chancellor candidates are roaming the country and do appear everywhere. For example, Annalena Baerbock is in Nuremberg today. We are seeing Scholz also um, across the country. And, of course, Armin Laschet also is trying to convince um, people on the streets that he is the right candidate. And then we are heading into this all-important 26th of September weekend, where, by the way, Berlin is also uh, voting on whether it's okay to expropriate um, real estate investors in the city of Berlin.
3: All right. Excellent. Looking forward to that one. Thank you very much indeed for that. Your coverage has been excellent, as ever, uh, on this one, Aneta. Thank you very much indeed. Well, when we get through the German election, in fact, we might even have a government by the time we get the uh, French election, which, of course, is due in 2022. But the socialist mayor of Paris, uh, Anne Hidalgo, has announced her candidacy for French president in the country's 2022 elections as both the left and the right party fragmentation, that's what it says here, as both the left and the right party fight party fragmentation. Here we go. Incumbent Emmanuel Macron and far-right opposition candidate Marine Le Pen continue to lead in polls ahead of the first round of voting in April. Uh, Charlotte, is Anne Hidalgo um, going to be a unifying figure for the left or is she going to (coughs) remain fairly controversial? Uh, One thing is unambiguous though, that if she were to make it to the presidency of the Elyse Palace, not a good time to own a car in Paris or France.
4: Absolutely. And that's one of the, her key policies as mayor of Paris. But she does face an uphill battle. No doubt she will keep an eye on whether the SPD can have a victory in Germany, a left-wing uh, win, what it could mean for France. But she faces an uphill battle. At the moment, she polls only at around 7 to 8 percent, so far behind other candidates, including the green candidates. So the question is, can she really rally uh, the left? And it, it's, it's looking difficult. The left uh, vote is very split. You have at least five declared candidates so far. And one of the key, ones. Of course it's the green they are running their own primary at the moment we know their key candidate at the end of this month and they had really good results the greens in the regional and local elections recently so the key is that can these two uh, ally potentially for the presidential election the Greens so far has said they don't want to they want to run on their own so we'll see if Annie Dalgo can gather as you said she's a controversial figure she's very much seen as a Paris City kind of figure, so can she get some more rural population uh, in other parts of the country behind her? It will be very difficult for her. But other contenders, we know the race is heating up because one other key field that we need to look at is the centre right candidates, Les Républicains. Also, lots of candidates there. We know that Michel Barnier, uh, the negotiator, the Brexit negotiator for the Commission, is in the race. Also, Valérie Pécresse, Xavier Bertrand, potentially. So they are still deciding how they can pick their candidate, whether they've run a primary or not. But they're hoping that they can get together and know that the center-right vote is the key vote as well for this election. So we'll see again by the, in the next couple of months which candidates picked to run in this race. But we know still that the key contender is uh, Marine Le Pen from the Rassemblement National. She is already declared to be in the race. She started doing a big rally this weekend in the south of France uh, hitting topics that she usually uh, talks about on immigration for example. Uh, she tries to get a new impetus in her campaign. She had the very disappointing results in local elections just a few months months ago that she tries to get a new impetus in her campaign. Finally, Emmanuel Macron, the president, at the moment rallies at about 25% for the first run in the election. So he's in the top position, but he could be very tight with Marine Le Pen. He's not declared yet, so we don't know if he's going to run. Uh, but certainly behind the scenes, the work has started to get the troops behind him to get ready. One very important backing he got this weekend is Edouard Philippe, his former prime minister, who is very, very popular and had been rumored to potentially run in the election, has said that he's back backing Emmanuel Macron for 2022, so an important backing here for Emmanuel Macron, who's not declared, his predecessors had declared just a couple of months before the election that they're running. So we have still have to wait for his official candidacy in this run that is definitely heating up in France, guys.
2: Charlotte, thank you very much and uh, brilliant to see you back in the office after so long out and about and at home. Thank you very much. Norway is electing a new parliament today with the centre-left bloc potentially poised to grab power from the centre-right. Norwegians in some of the biggest cities headed to the polls yesterday, but the official election day is today. Wealth, inequality, and climate change have been the dominating themes of the election as the oil rich nation tackles a transition to cleaner energy. Polls indicate that Labour is likely to lead a new coalition government, with party leader Jonas Garstor replacing Conservative Prime Minister Erna Solberg. Later today, Germana will be speaking to Keshti Stenseng. that is the party's secretary of the Norwegian Labour Party, that's uh, coming up at 10.45, CET on street signs.
0: Well, how important are all these elections for how you should be investing into European equities? Uh, Fabrice uh, Potier joins us, uh, Chief Strategy Officer. At Rasmussen Global. Uh, Fabrice, very good morning to you. Let me just ask you that question. As we are weeks away now from the German election outcome, how critical is investment strategy around the European election cycle?
6: Well, obviously, Germany is the critical piece. Uh, I would correct what you said because, yes, voting day is uh, in a few weeks' time, but actually German people, a large portion of German people have already voted. So in in a way, it's a campaign where every day is voting day, and that's why the result might be uh, quite unpredictable. Uh, And Germany matters for for the simple reason that it's the largest economy and it's the largest, the biggest decision maker on, on European affairs. However, on the fundamentals of the the European Union agenda, especially the Green Deal, which has obviously a big impact for investors, uh, I don't think the fundamentals are going to to change. Uh, However, what might change is on the Eurozone governance and the Eurozone fiscal uh, system, if you have an SPD chancellor like Scholz, you could imagine a better conversation at least between Paris and Berlin on changing rules which are considered by many in Europe, especially in Paris, as too rigid and no longer reflecting uh, today's uh, fiscal pressure.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, There are a couple of other issues, of course, which are still outstanding. One is um, that everybody is fully signed up to the idea of this debt union that would be consummated by... Ultimately, the banking union that's been talked about so much. If the SPD wins in Germany and builds the coalition, does that ultimately mean there'll be no more questioning around uh, debt union and the banking union that ultimately we may see this uh, fiscal union happen more quickly?
6: I don't think we should underestimate the strength of the German consensus on fiscal austerity across the political spectrum. Uh, The uh, uh, black zero, that means the no public deficit, is written in the German constitution. And even an SPD-led government is not going to easily change that. Enschloss uh, will have to, to look at the conservative side of his electorate. So, so I don't think it's, going to, it's a given that uh, uh, Germany is going to shift towards a more, I would say, French or Italian position. But I think there will be more open-mindedness on, on what it means to basically make what we've done through the crisis, with the recovery from, a more permanent feature.
2: And Fabrice, I want to ask you about climate change. You point out it's an increasing feature of some of these elections, but we've also moved a long way from the Greens being the only party in some of these countries having the strong mandate on climate change policies. There's been a huge ESG push across the board. So what does that mean when it comes to Election Day, given how strongly some of the other parties have also adopted climate change policies?
6: Well, I think this is the silver lining. It's climate change is no longer you know, an issue held by what was considered as fairly marginal. Or a singular uh, political group. It's now fully mainstream. Uh, so that's a silver lining. But obviously, it's not for if you are the Green Party and want to basically claim ownership and authenticity on, on that issue. So I think the good news is this is now part uh, front and center of what any political mainstream political party and then therefore government will be doing. But of course, the 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 the, the details you will have to see how much exactly uh, governments, new governments, are willing to spend, how much, for example, the Norwegian government uh, is going and how quickly it's going to uh, move away from oil and gas uh, revenues. Uh, This is going to be, and I think in Norway, it's already the centre of the conversation uh, and will have to be watched closely by investors.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to
3: cnbc.com
2: or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.